Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. The case we've been covering, the Savannah Soto Matthew Guerra case, there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I think those unanswered questions are exacerbated by, surprise, surprise, social media. Social media helps a lot of investigations, but also hinders a lot of investigations because of a lot of false information that gets out there. And this false information is somehow reported as the truth. So we're going to try to bring you the truth today from true crime, real crime, from a police perspective, and a little bit off the cuff. So you're about to enter the police off the cuff zone. There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir. They have the car stopped in Tampa Branch, Michael We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Joining me today, I have two co-hosts, two guests, if you will, both NYPD veterans. And first, I'm going to introduce retired NYPD sergeant, professor of criminal justice at Albertus Magnus College in Connecticut, attorney. Welcome to the show, Professor Mike Geary. Mike, welcome to the show. Billy, good afternoon. Good to see you. Hello, everybody. You know, Mike, I'm always uh, happy that when I call you with zero notice that you have no life and you're ready to go and do a show. Uh, right. I'm a minute And I know on Sunday, sometimes the wife gives you the honey-do list and uh, hopefully maybe you got that done on Saturday and you didn't have to worry about doing it on Sunday. Anyway, with us also joining us today, another NYPD veteran, retired NYPD detective, straight out of Brooklyn. And, you know, he does the honey-do list without having to be asked because he's all over Brooklyn, all over the place, doing all kinds of Italian father things. Welcome to the show, straight out of Brooklyn, Detective Phil Grimaldi. Phil, welcome to the show. Wow, what an entrance, I tell you. What, a, <laughs> what an entrance. Thank you so much, Billy. Hey, Mike, how are hey. you? And hello, everyone. Sunday afternoon. Let's get to it. We have to have a little personality with this. We always have to have Absolutely. a little bit of humor, even though we're dealing with the most serious, serious cases. Now, social media is such a big thing. And, and you know, I can pass social media to the press in a way because we've said on numerous shows, the press, the broadcast media, newspapers, they can be the best friend of the police or they can be the biggest enemy. Uh, and I would say almost the same thing about social media. Social media can really help investigators, but at the same time, they can really hinder an investigation and perhaps send the investigation you know, channeling to a direction that they don't want to go because they have to check out all the things that are incorrectly being reported on social media. And does is everyone on social media have good intentions? No, absolutely not. Sometimes people on social media 
are trying to throw enemies into the trick bag, as Phil would say, to get back at them. And we know that. The police know that. Sergeant um, uh, Washington Moscoso, I think it's pronounced like that, Moscoso, that's right. Um, my Spanish is a little uh, Spanish 101 and 102, that's about it. Anyway, he said that a lot of the leads that they had to check out hurt the investigation, being plain and you know putting it out there. So folks, when all this information is coming from the community, from allegedly friends and family members of the victims, it doesn't mean it's true. Uh, I think we take the truth in these cases from the police, who the, are the investigators on this case, and the district attorney's office. And they will release, of course, what they feel they should release without compromising the integrity of the investigation. Uh, I'm going to go to Mike first. Mike, your thoughts on the whole social media aspect of, of this case? Billy, you're right. It uh, it can detract a lot from um, an investigation because, as you and Phil know, every single one of those leads, you got to try and check them out. And in a case like this, you might have a thousand leads, you might have 500 leads. It's a lot to do. Um, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, we didn't have all of this social media. And so, therefore, it's a new development, and you got to go out and you got to check all of these things. And you're right, people have different motives. Sometimes people are out there actually putting stuff out to help. And that's really great, as many people saw in the video of, um, of uh, the, the shooters, uh, Christopher Pereira, his father getting out of the car. Somebody said, oh, there might be a second person in the car. They could observe things. That's really good. But then suddenly you have other names being thrown out there, uh, identified as a possible suspect. We saw this in the Koberger case. A bartender, you know, was, was, was identified and all kinds of stuff out there. And it really does hurt the case. And um, although it is a double-edged sword, because sometimes, as we know, people do brag about their misdeeds on social media. So, and that's good because those are spontaneous statements. But you and Phil know much better than me how much it can drag down uh, an investigation. Absolutely. Phil, your same thoughts on social media and just actually the regular media, the press, how it can help or hinder an investigation. Right off the bat, Billy, when we, uh, before uh, social media content was around or uh, any kind of social media, we used to have to just deal with the media. The media sometimes, like you said, Bill, they could be uh, utilized as a, a great friend at a police department for information, uh, putting out photographs or videos for rewards, different things of that nature where you can get some information. And sometimes if they print uh, erroneous information, uh, innuendo, conspiracy theories, it does take the investigation away in a direction, maybe not from the direction that it should be going in. However, with the uh, onslaught of social media and all the information that's gathered very quickly, it happens in lightning speed. I think that the investigators, the detectives, whoever's working on the case, they're able to figure out, okay, we have a direction. We're going in a good direction. There is all this other information coming in. However, we can maybe look at that a little bit later. Let's stay in the, in the proper direction. I think that that happened in this case. Once that cell phone was uncovered and they were able to get the information from the cell phone, 
I think they knew early on this was a drug ripoff. I think they knew where they were going. I mean, we looked at the crime scene photo, uh, I'm sorry, the crime scene video, and we felt that that vehicle was only taken a short distance, that the shooting had taken place in the close proximity to where the bodies were located. So with all of those components, as many leads as were coming in, as much information that was coming in that could have been erroneous, I think the detectives probably stayed right on track. Not that they're going to dispel anything that comes in or say, no, we're not going to even look at that. If they wind up at a dead end, then they go back. They look at the information that came in. It does cloud investigation sometimes, but I really think that the expertise and the experience of the detectives in this police department, they did a fantastic job. And I really believe that they were able to say, okay, we're going to go in the right direction. We're going to stay with this track that we're on. And they were able to, you know, put that to the side, let's say. This is some of the, um, the social media posts that or, or sites that were developed in connection with this investigation. There was over two dozen Facebook groups. And you can see the one at the top, uh, Savannah Soto case discussion, 18,000 members. Savannah Soto and Matthew Gira case discussion, two and a half thousand members. The one under that, 3.2, another one with 14,000, 2.2, 4.1, 905 members. So it's almost like you remember as a kid playing that game called telephone. So it's like when a message gets put out there, if the information starts out correctly, as it starts being spoken about and handed on and passed on, people add things to it, delete things to it. And before you know it, it doesn't resemble the truth whatsoever. And that is the nature of social media. However, having said that, we've learned a lot of things about social media. We've learned things about um, Savannah Soto. We've learned things about Matthew Gira from social media. Um, you know, we were the ones that said, and initially, this is all about narcotics. This is about a drug deal. This is about a drug deal gone bad, you know. And then I'm he I hear from I, I hear again, I hear, you know, you hear from people saying there's a lot more to this than that's okay. That's okay if there's a lot more. Because you know why? Because there's two people under arrest right now and they're not going anywhere, you know? So if you want to call this, you know, a conspiracy, you want to throw other people into this, that's okay because we have the two. You know, most guilty people, if not, well, they're innocent until proven guilty, but we have two people under arrest for this, a father and a son, and we have the shooter and someone else complicit in helping this. So if you want to call this a great conspiracy after the fact, the police aren't going anywhere. They're going to continue to investigate this. And if any of those things are true, they're going to find out about it and they're going to add it to the case. Mike. Yeah, Billy, that's one of the difficult things with social media. It is so powerful because it, it affects everyone's lives and people hear half truth and things like that. And we saw with the Koberger case, the police department doesn't have the uh, ability to stare and answer every single, single conspiracy theory that is thrown out there. They wouldn't have the time to do the investigation. So when the police don't respond to all of these allegations of conspiracies, um, then it looks like the police are covering something up and people then make these gigantic reasoning leaps that are irrational about the police. Oh my God, the police are covering up. Maybe it's some some other wild speculation. Um, and, and that unfortunately detracts from people's confidence in the police. Um, but uh, but uh, 
it is sad because the media does when they put something out the words they use have a lot of power to suggest a particular angle um i remember a long time ago in the four six there was a young couple like 16 and 18 year old and the 18 year old was a, a drug dealer and he ripped off his partner his partner found him and shot him and his girlfriend to death in the bronx and the i was there at the crime scene and the very next day in the newspaper it said uh, something like Romeo and Juliet pair die in ha hail of bullets. And I, I was shocked, but that's the way it was phrased in the media. And it was the farthest thing. These were not innocent kids. These were kids who were involved in the drug trade and they paid dearly for it. It's unforgiving. They paid for their lives. But um, you're right. The, uh, the, the, sometimes the story takes on a life of its own and therefore it really detracts from people seeing what is actually what has actually happened you and i've been there first responders doing investigations we know the actual timeline and the facts of the case people don't know enough to uh, go along with it and they just make up stuff on their own fill in the fill in the gaps and uh try to outguess the police shameful 100 percent, mike and what my whole point with this is also is that okay you know something here we are myself 27-year veteran, Phil, a 22-year veteran, you a 20-year veteran. We have over 60, almost 70 years of police experience. And we will be the first ones to say on this show that we don't know everything, you know? And I bet you all the police and the detectives working this case, they don't know everything either. But guess what? They're going to put this case together so that by the time this case is prosecuted, they will know more than 100% of the population. So when people throw in all of this extraneous stuff, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the case is going to be presented by the police and the district attorney's office. And what's important to get a conviction? They already got the arrest. What's important to get a conviction is competent police work, handling the evidence correctly, interviewing and interrogating suspects, which they already did a very good job at, and presenting the best case possible to the district attorney's office. So all this extraneous bullshit, let's, is, which is what it is, That's is right, not going to amount to a hill of beans on this case. Phil. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Billy, because, listen, all the conspiracy theories, they're going to be out there. Let them be out there. We're going to look at this case by fact. And the fact is this. They're going to have the social media contact where uh, the meeting was going to take place. I believe Miss Soto uh, Googled the location where they believe that the murder took place. Okay. So we're going to have that. We now have uh, the crime scene, all the evidence and the information from the crime scene. We have a shell casing that was found inside the vehicle. There's probably going to be bullets recovered from the bodies, whether or not we can trace them back to, we have the murder weapon. The murder weapon has been recovered. So we're going to have the shell casing and possible ballistic evidence that will track to that murder weapon. We're going to have the cooperation of the father. They knock on his door. He says, come in. I know what you're here for. We have the statement of the perpetrator putting himself on the scene, putting the gun in his hand. He tries to make a self-defense claim. But with all of those things put together, and there's probably a ton more that I haven't even gotten to, this case, all the conspiracy theories, I think is going to be a very strong case for the prosecutors to get a conviction on this case. This animal is off the street, and I have to categorize him as an animal because only an animal can execute, execute two people like this under any circumstances, whether it be drugs, narcotics, whatever. I don't think he had any reason in the world 
to do what he did. And I'm glad he's off the street. And I think the father was probably thrust into this thing. It's his son and he gets caught up in it. And, you know, he tried to help him, I guess, but the right thing would have been, listen, uh, give me the gun and let's call 911 and we'll get you an attorney. That would have been the proper, uh, uh, thing to do as, as a father, as a parent. But I don't think that the conspiracy theories and anything, you know, Bill, you pointed out all those different social media sites, there's going to be a lot of bullshit going around, but I don't think there's going to be, uh, too much, uh, issue to navigate through it and uh, get this thing into court and get a conviction. Some of the interesting things that I want to bring up also is that there is a great potential that, uh, you know, the the perpetrator and the victims knew each other, that this wasn't their first interaction with each other. Uh, We also understand from the arrest warrant that Matthew Gira had been shot at before. So he knew what time it was. They were like, they were delivering drugs as Domino's would deliver pizzas. You know, uh, they were on social media and you call them up and they deliver your drugs to you. So that is like a ripe for a ripoff for any a drug dealer who's selling narcotics, delivering drugs to someone. He's got cash on him and he's got the product on him. Usually, most of the time, they also have a firearm. But what? let's remember something. Matthew Gira had an open gun collar case that he was that was still pending, and he had, he had a weapons charge. So he probably did not want to get caught with another gun because you get caught with a gun while on probation or waiting for a trial on another gun. Judges don't find that amusing, you know, and they're gonna they're gonna sentence you to jail or potentially prison time. So. When we pointed out early on in this case that this was a narcotics deal gone bad and everyone was pushing the missing persons side of it, um, no one wanted to believe it. And then when it actually came out to being the truth, it was sort of uh, it, it was sort of forced upon people. Now they're, they're saying, "Yeah, you, you guys were right." But the other thing is the treasure trove of information we kept speaking about was Savannah Soto's cell phone. And in the first few days, we didn't know they had the phone. No one knew it except the Popo. They knew. They knew they had it, right? And they knew that they were awaiting a search warrant on that phone. The other thing that was brilliant to this case, and again, with modern technology, is video. Video can give you a picture of what happened. And here's where social media comes into play again. That white towel coming out of the car. It was almost like the Adams family, a hand that you didn't see. You saw the towel come out, but you didn't see a hand. Was there a body inside that car handing Ramon uh, Preciado? Uh, was was a body handing him that towel? Well, it would seem so. Uh, and the police are not denying that now. So is there a third piece to this? Is there? Is there, you know, people, that's another thing about social media. People are now attacking the Preciado's home. They defaced the shooter's car. Um, apparently they're ordering uh, Google Eats or, you know, Uber Eats to their house, Google Eats. I don't think there's such a thing. Uber Eats deliveries to their house. So 
all this has something to do again with social media and people using that to get back at these people. So do we know, in fact, well, the police aren't denying that there may be a third person that handed that towel out, but they're not naming that person as of yet. And that could be many reasons. Could be the mom. Could be Christopher's mom. It could mom. be. Yeah, it could be. Uh, well, they're saying it's not. It's it's his father's girlfriend, which perhaps would be his stepmom. But one of the reasons they may not be putting forth her name is A, it puts her, her life in danger, and they're not ready or willing to arrest her. They may be using her straight out as a witness. So maybe that's why they don't want to put their, they don't want to put that information out there. They don't want to put her name out there to protect the case, to protect the investigation. So we're not um, denying that. Again, social media is demanding, who is this third person? Who is it? We have to know. No, you don't have to know. You do not have to know who it is. Because if this case, if and when this case goes to trial, and don't forget, this is a capital murder case. This is a death penalty case, right? So the district attorney wants to do everything correctly. So he doesn't have to tell you anything at this point. You, you know, uh, they've been transparent. They did a perp walk, right? You know the names, you know the addresses of the perpetrators, you know the charges. You know, pretty much everything the police said, well, not everything, but a big part of the case that the police will be presenting. Mike. Yeah, Billy, as you talk about that third person, that, I'm sorry, the second person that might have been in that uh, that uh, pickup truck, that's a very delicate situation because you could say, if you want to go hardball, that that person is a, is a, uh, cr is a criminal facilitator after the fact, almost like uh, joining the conspiracy later on. Uh, so there'd be a conspiracy between Christopher, his father, and that third person. So you could talk about it like that and go hard at that person. Or you could say, look, this person, we don't want to reveal who they are. We know who they are. I'm sure they know who they are. The police know who that is by, by this time. And uh, that person would have a treasure trove of valuable information and that could, could testify possibly a trial if given immunity from some sort of criminal uh, charges about what was going on in the Preciato household, how was the father uh, notified to come to that location? Was it a text message? Was it a phone call? What was said? What did they overhear? What did they, they hung up the phone? Uh, what did they uh, say to this third person? What was there? Was there a plan for, uh, formulated? Let's take a look at that person's text message. That is a very sensitive decision that the police investigators have to make and, and uh, the uh, district attorney has to make how to treat that person. That person is uh, is possibly the the most important single witness outside of the two perps that we have locked up, uh, alleged perpetrators we have locked up at this time, and and that's a good thing. Absolutely, uh, Aries honesty from the chat. It's weird how in the beginning they said Savannah left the phone home with the bag. How did it get to Chris's hands? And he was trying to message back. Aries honesty. I don't know where you got that from, because unless something comes from the police, I don't take it as the truth. Right. I not, don't. That that could be internet rumor. That's that erroneous information. Until it exactly. comes from so, law enforcement, and I'm not wrong. criticizing you. I'm just saying you have to really be careful. And us too. Mm -hmm. There were pictures of the shooter 
early on in this event, and it wasn't him. It wasn't the shooter. They had the wrong guy. They were calling it the shooter. People were putting that picture up and saying, well, this could be the shooter, and 100% wrong. So It was not the shooter. So imagine I just jumped at it and said, this guy could be. How? That's not a good thing to do. That's reckless. Can I make a comment on this third person? This alleged third person? Hang on one second. I just want to put one more thing up. Go ahead. Uh, Oh, wait. That's not what I wanted. I had something I had in mind. Now I lost it. Um, here it is. Here it is. Tammy. Tammy Wells Garcia from the chat. Was there any connection to yes. these individuals prior to this incident? Good Tammy question. Wells, that's what I was speaking about before. If there is, the cell phone will tell us, mm-hmm. right? Did Christopher call Matthew? Did Christopher call Savannah? Did either one of them call Christopher? That's where they cannot deny it because you'll have the record of calls, of interactions. So I, I just wanted to answer that. And we, again, we don't know that yet because why? The police haven't told us that yet. Exactly, okay. Billy. And and that was a great question. I think that the cell phones are going to tell the story with that. If there's any social media contact, text messages, et cetera, it's going to be there, whether it be Christopher's phone, whether it be the victim's phone. So we have that. The other thing I wanted to say about this possible third person, I mean, it looked like someone handed the towel. It could have been right by the edge of the window. We don't really know. But if there is a third person, it would be uh, pretty much behooved the prosecutor's office to now take that person, interview them, see what their culpability is. I mean, they went along with it. Maybe they were thrust into it. Uh, it could be the girlfriend or whatever, whoever it is. Now we're going to make that person a witness. I've seen it many times in murder cases where uh, I had a case one time where four or five guys did a, uh, uh, a kidnapping and a murder. And one of the people, the least culpable, they wound up using as the witness. It turned out that uh, all of the people involved wound up copping pleas, so that person didn't have to testify. But it's not unusual for the prosecutor's office to take a person that is involved in a situation, is involved in a murder case, a conspiracy, whatever you want to call it, and the least culpable sometimes they will put that person in the uh, in the witness position as opposed to a perpetrator position. And I could see that there could possibly be some type of cooperation with the father as well on this case, but let's see. Uh, that remains to be seen. Sharon Reynolds from the chat. Police now have body cam as people film nearly all incidents. In case things go wrong, people have been killed through mistaken identity to social media. You, you know something, Sharon, you, you're 100% correct. And that's one of the dangers of this. How about even people attacking their house or defacing Nick? That's, you know, as much as you hate Christopher uh, Preciado, what does that do? I mean, why, you know, why are you damaging their house? Why are you, why are people doing things like ordering uh, Uber Eats to, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. And it's still harassment. It's nonsense harassment. Yeah, it really is. And it really doesn't help the case. If anything, it it hurts the case. And if you really want a successful prosecution of, of, in regards to what occurred here, then that that's a stupid thing to do. And again, going back to social media, because everyone thinks they know what happened. Everyone thinks they know the inside story. Everyone thinks that they weren't going to tell you this is what happened. You you don't know the half of it. You know something? Maybe you're right. Maybe I don't. But you know something? The police know what happened. And they're the arbiters of what they're going to present in court and the case they're going to present against Christopher Preciado and his father, Ramon. So all you internet sleuths that are putting out this information, 
This is what it's about. The two people you see on this on the screen, Christopher Preciado, who admitted to the fact that he's the shooter, and his father Ramon Preciado, that admitted to helping after the fact, uh, being charged. You know, and I, I want to get to the the, sh the actual shooting, because when we talk about admissions and confessions, what Christopher Preciado made to the police was a confession. He didn't realize he was doing a confession. He really, he thought that what he was doing was telling about the self-defense thing, how good it was, what he did, because he used self-defense. But that's where the science of investigation will just nail him down because he's wrestling, allegedly wrestling with, with uh, Matthew Gira for the gun that Matthew pulled on him. And he's manipulating the gun in his words. And somehow he shoots Savannah Soto in a close contact wound behind the ear, killing her. And then he further wrestles the gun and manipulates it, in his words, and, and shoots Matthew Gira behind the ear and kills him. Two shots. Where did these shots take place? That's another thing we can argue about. Was the crime scene inside the car? I don't know. You know why? There was only one spent shell found inside that car. And there had to be at least two shots. Where's the other shell? Could Matthew have been shot outside the car? And then Savannah inside the car? Thus the one spent shell. Where's the other spent shell? Do the police know where it is? Very possible. They, they're not telling us, right? So everyone that insists that the crime scene was inside the car and this is how it happened, they don't know. They don't know. But you know what will tell us? The science of investigation and things like blood spatter, right? Because in a close contact wound, there's a good possibility that the bullet entered and exited and left blood spatter on the inside of the, uh, inside of the car twice. But if there's only one set, one uh, blood spatter from the shooting, then potentially one person wasn't shot inside that car. Phil? Yeah, uh, I think there's only uh, two scenarios that I could see here. Either A, they were both shot inside the car and that second shell casing may have ejected out of the car and it's not recovered or perhaps it is recovered. They're just not telling us yet. Or uh, it looks like perhaps... Um, Matthew was shot outside the car and then dragged into the car. We know the drag marks are there. They talked about that. Uh, if he was in the front seat, shot in the front seat, dragged out of the front seat, put into the back seat so that way they can move the vehicle. That's one scenario. Or he was shot outside the car. Then Savannah was shot in uh, uh, inside the car. And that's how the shell casing uh, remains inside the vehicle. I think that's the only two scenarios that I see. I think it's almost certain that she was shot inside the car. It doesn't appear that there was any drag marks or anything of that nature. So uh, in my opinion, from what I know, it sounds like she was inside the car. Possibly he was inside or outside of the vehicle when shot. Mike, your thoughts? Billy, yeah. We're talking about um, the, the self-defense, uh, you know, Christopher's self-defense uh, idea. Um, and uh, Bill had mentioned the other day how, how wonderful it was that he hadn't lawyered up, that he actually threw that out there as an affirmative defense and actually made those statements that are totally contradicted by the physical evidence. 
And uh, I always like to talk about consciousness of guilt. And I just want to throw that in there. I know. If I hear that one more time, I'm going <laughs> to get a new it. attorney. <laughs> but one of the things I, I, I think about Christopher, because I'm like putting myself in his position, um, if you are truly innocent and you just wrestled a gun from a maniac and you shot him in self-defense and you shot his girlfriend who's nine months pregnant uh, by accident um, and you still consider yourself an innocent person, why would you then get in the car and drive it away and kind of hide it? Why wouldn't you call 911 from the scene and say, oh, my God, let me tell you, officers, come here, please. There's a guy who tried to kill me. And, I, and by, by accident, I killed him. I killed his girlfriend and I defended myself against him. The idea that he would hide that and then call his father to meet him, uh, that just shows that that guilty mind. I'll use the term guilty mind from now on. Oh, stay with consciousness <laughs> of guilt. I like that. Consciousness of guilt has been overused. So you use All right. guilty mind. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's it right there. That's the consciousness of guilt. Mike, you really laid that out good. I think that was a great, great point. No, seriously, because you listen, so he's buying drugs, but he's buying marijuana, let's say. He's right. buying some drugs. He gets into the struggle. Uh, he struggled. He takes the gun away from Matthew. He winds up shooting him, shooting. So, And why didn't he uh, call 911? Like you said, he could stay. Really? Listen, you know, I was buying drugs, but look what happened. I was uh, fighting for my life, but he didn't. He showed the consciousness of guilt. And I think, Mike, you're going to wear that banner. Bill is surreptitiously, <laughs> and I guess in the trick bag is mine. Absolutely. Uh, folks, if you like real crime, true crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. Police off the cuff, real crime stories. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that bell and share us with your friends and your family. We'd appreciate that. And if you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with uh, three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel membership with you can count them five different levels. Real police, real true crime from a police perspective. You're in the right place. Police off the cuff, real crime stories. Um, I just want to mention now, when the detective who was assigned, he's referred to as the affiant in the in the arrest warrant. His name is Detective Jay Goodwin. I don't know his first name, if it's John James or what. But um, when he arrived on the scene, uh, he observed the front right passenger side of the vehicle uh, let me just put the vehicle, a picture of the vehicle up on the screen because we've seen it from many different angles. There you go. There's the vehicle. Um, he, he observed, and this is Detective Goodwin, a uh, deceased pregnant female inside the front right passenger seat. Due to her affiant knowledge of the female on a previous murder case, this he's talking about the murder of her brother that occurred in 2022. I think, uh, I think her brother's name was Ethan. He was 15 years old. Um, the, the affiant recognized the female to be that of the missing female of Savannah Soto. The female appeared to have trauma to her head. He's observing this as he goes to the crime scene. Uh, he also observed the backseat. He observed the deceased male in the backseat of the vehicle. The deceased male resembled the boyfriend to the female. The male had an apparent gunshot wound to his head. It appeared the male had been dragged into the vehicle. Uh, the detective didn't observe any weapon near the mail. So they got a search warrant to process the car. While waiting for the search warrant, the affiant spoke to the families of the female and male. It was found that the boyfriend, uh, who we know as Matthew uh, Guerra, uh, sold narcotics and would use his phone to cellular communication as well as social media to sell narcotics. It was also advised that the boyfriend would post money and narcotics on Instagram. 
It was stated that people wanted to rob the boyfriend, and it was stated that the boyfriend had been shot at before. The family provided the detective with the phone number of the female. The family of the male provided uh, the detective with his phone number as well as Instagram. So why is that important? Because right on the scene now, the detective, Jay Goodwin, has the phone numbers of both victims. And smartly, he probably got another detective to start the ball rolling to get search warrants for those phones. And lo and behold, what do they find inside that car? They find Savannah Soto's cell phone. They don't find Matthew's cell phone, but they find Savannah Soto's. How important was that to the case, Phil? Oh, it was extremely important because we know that uh, there was a Google search for the location uh, where we believe the murder took place. So that was extremely important. It's also going to give us a timeline where that cell phone traveled. Very, very important right there. That cell phone was at one location and it wound up at the location where the bodies were recovered. So that's another piece of technology that's going to show where the vehicle had traveled. Um, we don't know if his cell phone was ever recovered someplace else. I'm talking about Matthew's cell phone. Was it recovered in the vehicle? However, even if it's not recovered, we'll be able to extract that information from the cell carrier, where the phone traveled, what text messages went by. Uh, also, uh, I'm sorry, what text messages were exchanged, as well as social media postings and responses. That's all accessible through the carrier for the cell phone. So it's even though the phone's not found, if it's found, it's great. If not, they could still get that information. Absolutely. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, Billy, it was, that was crucial um, because that gives uh, the timeline. As Phil said, the timeline is so important. Start to finish. What was the timeline of this crime from the time that the, the, uh, they, went to, they decided to go to Charlie Chan Drive? At what time was there a Google to search for that location? You know, uh, the invitation or the offer to buy narcotics? You know, very compact timeline it was all before somewhere like 1145, 1150, 1155 at night um, on the 21st of December. And that is crucial because the, that cell phone places people and in, in a particular area, at a particular time, doing a particular thing. And uh, that video, absolutely also, same thing. Very crucial. I'm going to put the um, the arrest affidavit up on the screen uh, for, for right now, just to show you um, the um, uh, when the a search warrant arrived at the location, um, a search of the vehicle was the, that was conducted. The search found a, it's written spent shell casing in the vehicle. However, there was no weapon recovered in the vehicle. There was apparent blood transfer on the outside of the vehicle. That was not consistent with the boyfriend causing harm to the female. Both the female and male had gunshot wounds to the head. And male also had apparent drag marks on his back. It was believed that the female and male were killed at a different location. And the vehicle was driven to the recovered location. So that's from the horse's mouth. So when social media is telling us that no, they were both shot inside the car. That's not the conclusion that the investigators come coming to from the physical evidence inside the car, from the, the evidence drag marks on Matthew on Matthew Gear's back. How 
do, do you get drag marks if you're already inside the car? The, the blood outside the car, isn't that also indicative of potentially the, the shooting of at least one of them? At least one of them. I think, Phil, you probably hit the scenario correctly that uh, Matthew Guido was shot outside the car and Savannah Soto was shot inside the car. That's what it says. Thus, the one spent shell casing. Thus, all this other evidence we talk about, blood spatter, the drag marks, all the scientific evidence that social media is unable, incapable, and unqualified to explain. But professional crime scene technicians, professional detectives responding to the scene and observing the crime scene can interpret the crime scene uh, in a way that uh, social media cannot. Mike? Yeah, Billy, when you look at arrest uh, affidavits and search warrant affidavits, um, they're going to, they're trying to make a case, probable cause, in order to get a search, in order to get an arrest for someone. And they're going to include everything that is relevant to that, to that discussion. And so they're, you know, the police, if they wanted to and had the time, it would be unnecessary, but they could put a lot more. They could make this uh, search warrant affidavit, this arrest affidavit, you know, three times as thick. So that's all the other stuff that will be presented later on at the, to the grand jury. But for the police purpose right now, at that time, was to get an arrest warrant, a search warrant. They provided the judge with um, with just enough probable cause uh, at that point, and the judge signed the arrest warrant. So there's a whole lot more that is in that case file, as you and Phil know much better than me. There's a whole lot more that isn't been that hasn't been revealed. It doesn't mean they don't have it, and I don't want people to think that oh my God, the police only have a little bit of information at this point. You know, they're 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 not clear. Is it one casing or two casings or whatever? It it doesn't matter at this point. You know, it's gonna the police have all that information. It'll be brought out at the grand jury. It'll be brought out at trial. But uh, I think uh, police people should read this. And when they and try to read it several times to kind of figure out and play out in their mind what actually happened and not listen to people uh, speculating all kinds of wild conspiracy theories. Uh, you, you know, that doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't help anything. It just clouds people's judgment. One hundred percent back to the um, uh, to the search warrant. And I just want to get through this because I think it's so very important. Um during further investigation, uh, the Detective Goodwin found video surveillance at 5903 Danny K. The video surveillance found on December 21st, 2023 at 2359 hours, a Chevrolet Silverado gray driving with its lights off from the vehicle recovered location. Mike, what does that indicate? Driving with its lights off. Right. <laughs> I, can I say the word? Say, say it. it. Consciousness of guilt. There you yep. go. <laughs> yep. Thank you. The Silverado pulled in the middle of the back parking lot and parked the vehicle. The victim's vehicle could be seen approaching the Chevrolet Silverado. The victim's vehicle parked next to the Silverado. A heavy set male exited the Silverado, and the driver's side door of the victim's vehicle opened. The heavy set male approached the driver of the victim's vehicle and appeared to speak to the driver. The heavy set male then get a towel from his vehicle and appears to wipe down the outside of the victim's vehicle door where he had touched the vehicle. Again, consciousness of guilt. The driver of the victim's vehicle exited the vehicle for a brief moment and sat back in the driver's seat. The driver did not match the description of the female victim or the male victim. The Hispanic male got backed into his vehicle. The victim's vehicle drove behind the building where the vehicle was found on December 26th, 2023. So a lot in there, a lot of stuff that we saw on video, 
Uh, they don't mention in the arrest warrant that perhaps a hand came out handing that towel. Somehow the towel just appeared from out of that vehicle. But there, again, there's a good possibility that someone did um, hand that towel to Ramon Preciado. And so he could wipe the vehicle down so he could wipe his own hands down. I wonder if they ever found that towel. What do you think? I think that's a good possibility that it was found. I mean, they've recovered the uh, firearm in question. Um, I'm sure that when the father was cooperating, if he, the police asked him, what did you do with the towel? Perhaps he produced it, or maybe it was taken away in garbage. We really don't know. But real quick, Bill, I just want to uh, approach the chat a little bit. Earlier on, I said something, and I want to uh, just address it. Uh, the FedEx man comment, he says, that's an insult to animals. Animals do it to survive. You're 100% right. Uh, I called uh, Christopher an animal. He's a savage. Another one real quick. What drugs were involved? This is Catalina. What drugs were involved and how much? We really don't know. We know that there was some type of sale going on with Instagram or Snapchat with the uh, victim in this case. We don't know exactly what it was. We believe it might have been marijuana. If I, I did hear that, I don't know if it, if that's 100% correct, but uh, we don't know the amounts and we don't know what drugs at this point. Absolutely. Uh, Aries Honesty, the police got a hold of her phone when Matthew's brother's girlfriend messaged Savannah last week and he saw they were messaging back. The brother said it himself. They thought it was Chris. But, you know, Aries, again, this is all like double and triple and quadruple hearsay. So we can't report that as the truth. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of this will turn out to be true. But we cannot just report that as the truth based on, you know, rumor and innuendo. And if it is true, it just makes this case that much stronger. And some of the things, you know, we've been seeing also, uh, and, and I, I, this picture right here, I mean, that's disturbing, right? There's Matthew holding uh, a semi-automatic handgun in his right hand with a laser. And then in his left hand, he has what appears to be an AK-47. So what does that tell you about the victim here? Uh, and again, we, we have that other famous photo of uh, right here of posing with, uh, with the seven or eight inch wad of, of, of money. You know, those are all telltale signs of being involved in the drug trade, being, potentially being a gangbanger or both. You know, you don't just start out with all these accoutrements day one and say, oh, give me the drug dealer kit. You know, I'm going to buy my AK, get my nine with the laser sight, get my bling, get my this, get my that. No, he was he was in the game. He was in the game. And this is a dangerous, dangerous game where people will kill you for, for very little, for very little amount of money. So it's like as much as we, we sympathize with the families and um, no one deserves to die the way they died, it's, it's sort of understood. You play in this game, you're going to die a violent death. It's just the way it is. Phil. Really quick point about uh, undercover police officers in the Narcotics Bureau the NYPD. Any undercover, now we have undercover officers that will go secrete themselves into a drug location and try and buy drugs and then uh, develop enough in, uh, information and evidence to arrest the, the person selling. But any undercover, and there are many in the NYPD, past and present, any undercover that stays in that position for a period of time, they always get robbed. 
Always. I I de- dealt with numerous shootings in Coney Island when I was in the 6 squad uh, where undercover police officers go into the projects, buy drugs. They would get robbed. A lot of times shots fired. Thank God uh, none of the officers were seriously injured or killed. But any undercover that does that, and Bill, you're making the point, it's a very dangerous trade. It's not a game. I don't know why these kids get sucked in by it. I guess it's the money. It's the uh, affluence in the community. But to put pictures like that that he put on on social media, just uh, it, it's heartbreaking to see the youth of America doing stuff like that today. But uh, extremely, extremely dangerous business. Juror 13, no one in law enforcement has stated Savannah was shot behind the ear, not the medical examiner. So how is that being stated as fact? Where did it come from? It actually did come from the police um, press conference. I believe Sergeant Moscoso said they were both shot, uh, close contact wounds behind in, in the head. Uh, maybe behind the ear, that came out from some other. And again, I could be, I could be wrong. Maybe it's no police reports. It was in a press conference, which there were multiple press conferences, both by um, the chief and also Sergeant Moscoso. So, but you're right. The, there has been no medical examiner's report, uh, re, uh, the results of the autopsy, but it was reported early on that both had been shot close contact wounds behind the head. And that was told maybe by the police to explain perhaps the crime scene and to explain uh, where they think the, the crime scene was. But they fully admitted they didn't know if uh, Matthew was shot inside the car. Uh, it, it almost it says it in the arre- in the arrest warrant that they're not really sure. They just know the vicinity of it. So they perhaps they didn't find the second spent shell that would give them a better idea. And the Christopher um, Preciado. One of the things I wondered about when in his statement was he makes that self serving statement about how uh, Matthew came up and pointed a gun and they wrestled and he shot Savannah and they kept wrestling and he shot uh, Matthew. Um, The police, what detectives would do is they would take that statement down, get him to sign it, and then they would re-interview him and say, look, um, your first statement is nonsense, absolute nonsense. And they would confront him with that. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. I would like to know the results of the second interview with him. Phil, you could talk better about this. You took these statements. 100%. Take all the information. Let him tell us whatever it is. Uh, you're in the room. You're in the box. Uh, you're going to present him with, listen, we know you're you're getting charged with murder. Uh, help yourself. So he starts giving that information. Take it all down. And then you're going to pick apart the parts that you think are untrue. And you're going to hit, like you said, Billy, perhaps you get him to write it out, sign it. And then you're going to say, you're going to go into court with this. Uh, I mean, it's really not logical that uh, you did all of this uh, struggle and the evidence is going to show maybe he shuts down at that point, or perhaps maybe he may tell the truth. Uh, It doesn't seem like he came with a different story. It sounds like he stood with this same uh, self-defense, self-serving statement. But uh, again, we don't know. We don't know for sure. We don't have the case folder in front of us, but that would be the tactic tactic that I would definitely do. I would let him tell me everything. I want it all. I would go over it several times. How did it happen again? Explain this part. Explain that part. I want a very detailed uh, statement from him. Then after he does that, that's where I'm going to pick it apart and try and get him to tell me the truth. 
Krista C., can't they tell if they were whacked in the car? Wouldn't the car be blood spattered all over? Yes, but hundred percent. They can't. If both of them were shot in the car, they would. That would be consistent. There would be blood spatter. But what with what we are thinking, and and again, we have no access to the crime scene. We don't know. They haven't done the crime scene report or, or made it public. There was one spent shell in the car that was recovered. Therefore, there's a possibility that. Matthew was shot outside the car. We don't know the crime scene. Yeah, if he was shot, it appears that he wasn't shot in the back seat. He was dragged into the back seat. Right. So, yes, there would be uh, forensic indicators if both of them were shot inside that car. And uh, we don't know. Again, that we, we're not privy to the crime scene. They haven't discussed the crime scene anywhere. Uh, so so we don't we don't know. Well, I want to move on point, toward Billy, the um, Billy. Can I make yeah. one other quick point about yeah. that? Um, I think that's a great question that uh, that person just asked. But uh, initially, the crime scene investigation is going to tell us if we see blood spatter and and brain material or different things of that nature inside the car. That'll give us an indication that the shots were were fired from inside the car. But also, very important, forensic pathologists will give us positioning. Most likely, positioning of the body was the body prone. Was the body seated? All the different things uh, that a forensic pathologist will uh, be able to tell us. So we have the initial crime scene that's going to tell us some things, and then we have the autopsy. Forensic pathologist will tell us other things. Uh, Phil, oh, go ahead. One quick comment. Go ahead, Mike. Okay. Yeah, just uh, as, as Phil just said, it's a uh, you know the, all those little all those little things that are going to get give us a great picture. Someone in the chat asked a few minutes ago, what's so important about the towel, the white towel that was in the Chevy Silverado? And I was thinking, uh, as uh, as the father seemed to wipe down around the door, I'm thinking of the door, the top of the roof where the door the door is of that of that Kia. Um, that towel may be important because there may have been, if Christopher was shot outside or just a few feet away from the car, there may have been blood spatter on, on the door of the car and on the roof of the car. And, and the father may have taken that towel, wiped that down for his son, who's actually now in the driver's seat, and then threw that towel in the back of, the, of his Silverado. So there may actually be uh, you know, DNA and blood from Christopher on that towel. So that towel... Uh, it, you know, a lot of people don't realize that towel is going to be able to tell us a lot, uh, potentially tell us a lot about Christopher's position when he was shot. 100%. You know, and, and all of these things have to be dissected, sitting down and taking your time and, and looking and, and having other investigative minds with you that have the knowledge uh, to, to dissect all of this evidence. This is not something you learn in a day or two and say, oh, that's. Uh, you know, that doesn't make any sense, this, that, and the other thing. Well, that's why people take their time in going through the evidence and, and taking a look at what does the evidence mean. Liza G., I was looking for your comment. Police officer Cuff, can you go back to semantics of shell casing in affidavit? Yes, it is. They refer to shell casing. It doesn't say A. They must, the, the little word A. They said shell casing. They don't say shell casings. It says A shell casing. Uh, and it is confusing. You're right. But two people weren't shot uh, with one shot that killed both of them. There was more than one shot. So inside the vehicle was a shell casing. I, I hope I hope that clears it up. Now I want to get back to I want to go back to really the icing on the cake. And what is that? 
The icing on the cake is the search warrant of the house. The search warrant of the house that recovers what? The gun. The gun. The We hope the gun. They haven't released that. They believe, according to Chief McManus in his press conference, they believe that it is the gun, that it is the murder weapon. All right? So whether Christopher admitted that that's the gun or whether they have already tested it and it's shown that, yes, it matches the shell casing. Now, we went to great pains the other day to explain there are at least two markers on a, a, an ejected a shell. One is the extraction marks on the side of the shell casing, and the other is the uh, firing pin mark on the primer of the shell casing. Both of those are extremely identifiable coming back to the firearm that, that shot it. So very good, Bill. Very good. I like that explanation. Well, that's that is uh, that's better. That's than the science. That's the science. Right. That's the science of this. Yeah. Better than a fingerprint. And I also mentioned in a very short video, I believe, with Mike Geary and myself, um, that it goes to um, IBIS, and IBIS is a technology called, which stands for Integrated Ballistic Identification System, right? And it's a national system, and it can identify a firearm through the brass. Also, what will what, what else will it tell us about the firearm? Was that firearm used in any other shootings? And that's unbelievable. And I explained how in Manhattan we would have numerous times a gun come up that was used in shootings in three different boroughs. And you'd be like, how the hell is this happening? Is this the same perp? Or is this perp just lending his gun out to his friends? And what we found out later on, it was the latter. Perps loan their guns out to their friends that do shootings in other boroughs. Mike. Yeah, Billy, the, uh, the ballistics is so important in this case. And, um, you know, that no matter what, um, you know, Christopher says, the ballistics evidence of, of the firearm, if it matches, and the... Uh, the, the position of the bodies when they were shot, all of that matters much more than what Christopher's story. Christopher's story is great because it, it's probably going to be contradicted by the evidence. And that just makes it all the better to present to a jury and a grand jury and a trial jury. But uh, no, no, nothing speaks uh, about the consciousness of guilt. And I love sneaking that in there. Then the fact that that gun was uh, used to shoot two people and then it was hidden in the house and uh, they, they found it right there. And so that was fantastic. And I'm glad as a 19-year-old uh, double, ho double homicide, a killer, uh, alleged killer, that he didn't uh, do the smart thing that a, an, that a much more experienced killer would have done, would have been destroy that gun as fast as possible, dump it somewhere, get rid of it. But get thankfully, rid of the murder weapon. Yeah, just, just thankfully he didn't. And so that's, that is huge because that's science. That's not emotional. That's not people's feelings. That's science. Billy, I got to make a comment about the gun. First off, I got to say, Bill, you're going to give Ed Wallace a run for his money on that uh, description of the- I don't uh, know about that. I, just, I know I know a lot of shit. Maybe not as much as Ed Wallace, but-, but uh, was That was pretty good because guy. I had a case with shell casings and when it, when a bullet is extracted from the gun, you, you're right. There's the, the hit on the firing pin is very, very uh, distinct from the, from the firearm. And also the striations that- when it ejects, it, it it makes certain marks on the shell casing that are identifiable to the gun. But here's something else about the gun. 
Very, very important. He's going to claim in a statement that he wrestled this gun away from Matthew and uh, he wound up uh, shooting Matthew and accidentally killing Miss Soto. But they're going to examine the gun. Uh, would they find Matthew's DNA on that gun? Because the gun, if it's an automatic, it's got a, a clip. There might be DNA in there. And we know from the photos that were posted on the internet that he liked to, you know, uh, pose with his guns and touch his gun. So if Matthew's uh, DNA is not found anywhere on that gun, that's going to really, really put a damper on his uh, statement, self-defense, that he met, wrestled the gun away from Matthew. So finding the gun, Billy, I think you said it earlier, this is like the cherry on the top of the cake. It's a it's a neat package. Listen, we know juries can come up with some crazy, uh, you know, uh, uh, decisions at the end of a trial. But with this case, I don't think you could have anything more than what we have. We have the murder weapon. We have the motive. We have video evidence. We have a lot of different things. We have the, the statement from the father. We have the statement from the perpetrator. So I think that the prosecutor is probably delighted to uh, proceed with this case and to prosecute it. Uh, maybe there's more evidence that we don't even know about, but that gun being found very, very, very important to this case. Erica Olson, uh, wait, someone just, I was, I saw someone ask, I, I clicked on the wrong one. Oh, here we go. Anastasia, Anastasia, 715. How often is DNA found on guns though? I'll tell you, Anastasia, there was a, a case in New York City where a police officer, Russell Timoshenko, and his yep. partner pulled over yep. a car, right? The car had very dark tinted windows. I don't even believe they got to the car and they started blasting from inside the car. Russell Timoshenko was killed on the scene. Uh, his partner exchanged fire. The perps all took off out of the car and they started running. Inside the car, and, and I'm not sure exactly how many, but there was numerous guns and there was chicken bones inside the car. They had been eating Kentucky fried chicken. On the trigger guard of one of the guns that killed Officer Russell Timoshenko, they found the DNA of the perp that fired the gun. Amazing work. On the chicken, they identified the DNA of another perp that was eating the chicken. So they were able to identify the shooters without a physical identity, without someone seeing an eyewitness identity through their DNA. As be So it happened. And that case is pretty old, Billy. That case is not that yeah. current. That case is probably about eight or 10 years ago, I believe, maybe even more. So the DNA technology has really, really come forward a lot since then. And like you said, Billy, that was a Brooklyn South case. I remember that very clearly. And uh, the DNA being found on the trigger garden. How big is a trigger? It's uh, not that big for, to pull DNA off of it, but they were able to, they were able to get com uh, convictions on that case. Absolutely. Um, Nadi Gabri, the lieutenant said they had the murder weapon, yet no forensic tests have yet been completed. Well, they're not they're not in a rush. They'll do it. Right. They're gonna they'll get it done. You know, they're pretty sure it's and and when it comes back to that spent shell casing, that's uh that's gonna be a huge uh, a huge um win for the police department, a huge win for the good guys. They'll have the evidence. The other thing about the gun that we didn't mention was the gun's got a history. The gun's there got a serial go. number, right? So if they can prove that uh, Matthew Guerra never had that gun, but somehow it's, say, related to Ramon Preciado or Matthew, or they can prove that they had that gun, how was it that Matthew came to the scene with your gun? You know, how is that possible? So, again, another very – and I'm not saying they're going to be able to prove that, but there's a possibility they may be able – the history of that gun, which they always do – through alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, they run the history of that gun. 
where was that gun? Is it a stolen gun? Is it a defaced gun? Uh, where where was that gun? Who last owned that gun legally? Now, Matthew, um, excuse me, uh, Christopher Preciado I, apparently didn't have a criminal history. Could he have bought that gun legally? Yeah, he could have, right? So he may... It may be regi registered. I would say I'd say the chances of it being registered are, are pretty slim, but there are still ways that you can prove that that gun belonged to him, Phil. Absolutely, Billy. Listen, he could have traveled out of state and purchased that gun uh, legally or with some kind of identification. So the uh, the track of that gun is going to be very important, Billy. Uh, if they can narrow it down that it came from Christopher, all well and good. Or, uh, you know, where it came from, if it was stolen, perhaps they could tie him to that. But I don't think uh, they're going to be able to tie it to Matthew. It seems clear to me that this gun was in the hands of Christopher and uh, it was his gun, even though he's going to come up with that self-serving statement that it was self-defense and he wrestled the gun away. Um, whether or not they're able to do that, perhaps the serial numbers are, you know, uh, uh, taken off the gun to a point where it's not traceable. Uh, I think we still have uh, a very, very strong case against Christopher in, in this uh, situation. You know, all of the, uh, all of the innuendos, all of the, this is what we think happened. This was a hit. This uh, Matthew owed Christopher money. We, we don't, that's never been reported uh, by the police. The motive has never been reported. But the police said early on, uh, Sergeant Moscoso said this was a drug deal gone bad. He said that right in the press conference. It was all about drugs. And in the arrest warrant affidavit, the family said the same thing, that this was, this was about drugs. You know, they were both involved in the game. They were both involved in the drug trade. So not to give anyone an excuse to, to, to do what they did. It was horrible. And uh, we sympathize and we, we mourn with the family of, of the Giras and the Sotos, a horrific situation. But we can't help but think that, you know, this this is part of the bad things about this country is that, you know, a lot of young people are involved in the drug trade and uh, they learn the hard way that the fast money comes with a price. And uh, the price is your life. So our dissertation here, that we started out with, did social media help with this case or hinder this case? And you can decide. I have my own opinion. I think it's a double-edged sword. I think social media helps, but it also hinders because it also makes the police work 10 times harder than they ever had to work because they have to disprove all the false leads that are coming in from social media. Mike, Billy, it helps and it hurts. It's a two-edged sword. You know, it the technology, the cell phone technology and the ballistics technology is the main main things. But the social media, people put stuff up there spontaneously. And, uh, you know, and sometimes they get things right and sometimes they get things wrong. And it, it's, it's difficult for the police to have to deal with all of that stuff as a real distraction. But when people like, um, you know, Matthew and and uh and uh, misoto savannah put things on social media themselves and then maybe christopher put uh, preciato puts things up on social media it adds a little bit of background information and sets the the tone or sets the stage for what has happened so it gives people a fuller understanding so sometimes it is good 
And sometimes it is uh, like the worst detriment for a police investigator. Absolutely. Uh, Bernie Heaven, no ballistics report in yet. Uh, Matt, carried, Matt carried a weapon. Casing could have been from prior events. Open minds. How can Grimaldi be so sure? Speculation. No, it's not speculation because once they do the test, we'll know for sure. Right, yes. right. This spent shell matches the gun that they have. And if I, I wanted, I just put, uh, uh, highlighted that. I was going to comment on that. I'm glad you put it up, Bill. I'm not certain that that's, it could be a, a shell casing from a previous encounter of, of him firing a shot because we know he did carry a gun. That's 100% possible. But it's more likely you have two dead bodies in a vehicle. You have a spent shell casing inside the vehicle. I'm going to say, I believe it could be the uh, fired from the murder weapon. If not, then it's not. But like Billy said, we're going to have ballistics examination. And I never said 100%. It's, it's, it is some type of speculation, but it's an educated, educated guess from an experienced law enforcement officer that did many, many homicide cases. Absolutely. So, folks, that's going to be about our, uh, our report for today. I think it was pretty interesting. We had a, a pretty interesting panel here. And I hoped, again, if some of you people are new to this channel, you're not subscribed, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Oh, I forgot to do the Joe Murray commercial. We're going to have to do that quick, Phil, before we... Uh, you got it. There we go. Put that up on the screen. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Now you see it right there on the screen. Now, if you happen to find yourself in need of legal counsel in the New York City and surrounding area, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced criminal defense attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. So he literally knows both sides of defense. If you need to get a hold of Joe, his website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe's a big supporter of police off-the-cuff real crime stories, and we think he's a terrific criminal defense attorney. Mike, I'm going to go to you next. Your final thoughts. I just want to thank everyone for tuning in for the show and uh, just um, everyone just um, sit back and uh, take it slow. And when the police are ready to release information, the district attorney is ready to release information, they will. Um, silence doesn't mean that they don't know what they're doing or they're conspiring or something like that. It means that they are processing all of that information. It takes weeks and weeks to get this all done. So uh, just but just be confident the San Antonio Police Department did a fabulous job. Absolutely. Phil, your final thoughts. Final thoughts. We went through this case and we talked about the social media, a little message to the youth, people involved in social media, and even the families. Uh, this is not a game, this drug business. This is a tough, very violent, uh, horrible thing to get involved in. Hopefully there are lessons here for the family members and just the general public. Uh, you know, time better spent doing something legal than this stuff. It's it's crazy. And then I don't know why kids are so drawn to putting stuff like this on social media. I guess it's the world we live in in 2024. Listen, uh, God bless these victims and prayers for the families and uh, prayers for the victims themselves. They didn't deserve to uh, have met the fate that they met in this case. This case was very interesting to me as an experienced investigator. I saw a lot of different things going on in this case, and we have to applaud the San Antonio Police Department and any of the investigators that worked on this case. This case was brought to a successful conclusion pretty quickly. Now we just wait for the prosecution, and uh, I, I'm sure we'll stay plugged in on it, and we may do some more shows in the future on this. So, folks, uh, I just, again, uh, Phil mentioned we uh, we mourn for the victims, and there's three victims in this case. We always have to remember, and we mourn with their families, 
And uh, we, as Phil said, we applaud the Sandy, uh, San Antonio Police Department. They did a fantastic job in going forward. I think they're going to have a successful prosecution. If there are any, and if there are any other missing pieces in this case, I'm sure they'll find them and they'll put them to bed. Have a great Sunday afternoon, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. God bless. Stay safe, everyone. One episode, just ain't enough.